Hello everybody and welcome to another one in our long-running series of financial well-being podcasts. My name is David Lloyd and I'm here with the other two important contributors to this great thing that we do. Chris Budd, say hello Chris. Hello Chris. And Tom Morris, say hello Tom. Hello Tom. Oh, very good. You're both being very biddable today. Chris, tell us a bit more about yourself. Well, I wrote the Financial Wellbeing book. I also uh, am the owner of a little dog called Luna, who's about to jump up and say hello to you. Come on, Luna. She's on uh, the lap now. <laughs> I've also written a few other books, a couple of novels, and I now spend most of my time, as well as the Financial Wellbeing podcast and writing, helping companies to sell to an employee ownership trust. But that's probably for another podcast. What an interesting man you sound. <laughs> Tomo, tell us about you. Uh, Chartered Financial Planner at Ovation Finance. There you go. Simple. <laughs> That's it. That's all he's got going <laughs> nothing for Nothing else going for He's got nothing else at all. <laughs> well, we're here as ever to talk about matters relating to money and well-being, but particularly this week, we're going to talk about the Financial Well-Being Conference. We've been doing these podcasts for how long now? Two years? Three years? Yeah, about that. Three years. Seems like quite yeah. a long time. And uh, a few months ago, Chris had a brainwave and said, you know what we should do? <laughs> we should get everybody together and we'll have a conference. And so we all thought, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. You, you go on <laughs> and do that. Yeah. So, so Chris went ahead and got somebody else to organise it. <laughs> and lo and behold, we all got together in the uh, Concord hangar at Filtered in Bristol and had what I have to say was the most fantastic day. I really, really enjoyed it. I went into it quite stressed because I was incredibly busy at the time and I was about to go away on holiday and I was sort of wound down and I'd obviously done the preparation, but I walked into it not really knowing what to expect. And actually everything about that day, from my point of view, really as a non-financial person, exceeded my expectations a hundred times. Yeah, it was... Uh... I have to just put a little shout out to Parmenian here. So what happened was I, Parmenian are an investment platform company. Yeah. And I put out one tweet, one stupid tweet saying, if I put on a financial wellbeing it's the conference. the only stupid tweet you've ever put out, <laughs> I, I One tweet saying, if I put on a conference, would anybody come? And I had 38 people tweet me back, which was just insane. So what was really interesting was I got a direct message from Sarah Lyons of Parmenian. And she said, we'd love to sponsor the, the event because um, it aligns with our brand values. So I messaged her back and said, OK, that sounds great. I don't want any money, but if you could organise the whole thing, that would be really helpful. But I'll only let you sponsor it, I said, <laughs> if you stand up on stage and prove that financial well-being is in your brand values. And to be fair to her, she said, yeah, all right. And she did. It was and she great. did indeed. Yeah. We'll come on to Sarah in a bit, actually, because I'd like, I think it'd be quite interesting to just talk through mm. the speakers, the panel speakers that we had on the day. Yeah, I, I'd just like to jump in regarding Parmenian and just thank them for all the organisation that they did. And, and that's really where we couldn't have done it without yeah. that. So we were told, get the content together. But the organisation of getting the message out there and getting bums on seats and booking the venue were brilliant. Ben Purchase... Did a great job. He did indeed. Ben. And on the day, it was great because everything was there. And we also had great support from New Model Advisor, one of our industry papers as well, Will Robbins, the editor there. So, yeah, it was a great day. Yeah. So let's go through the speakers. The first one was, well, it was you, Chris. <laughs> well, if you're going to put on your own conference. You know. <laughs> first two speakers were firstly myself and then Miles, who we'll come on to. And I just wanted to set the scene of this is what we're talking about, and then for Miles to be setting, this is really what we're talking about. So 
I wanted to outline some of the principles of financial well-being. And the main message I got, because, of course, this was a conference for financial planners to go back and help their clients to be happier as well as wealthier. And I wanted to get across the fact that people aren't actually interested in money, but in what money can do for them. So for financial advisors and for any DIY investors listening, the message was to stop talking and thinking about money and to talk and think about happiness instead. Yeah, and I thought you set the tone very well indeed. And there was a good selection of people in the room anyway who were obviously very open and receptive to that idea. For some of them, I sensed that it was almost second nature to be thinking in those terms. But for a lot of them, I think they were perhaps challenged by some of the concepts that you were putting across, challenged in a good way, to reevaluate and change their yeah, thinking. Yeah. I Look, what I really wanted to get out of the conference at the end uh, was for people to go away and say, right, this is a new thing. This is a movement. This is something to take away and spread. Yeah, it was, it was uh, a lot of what you spoke about is all based on the book that you wrote three or four years ago now. And that, again, links why this conference was set up also was to try and promote Penny Braun, where the proceeds of the book go to. And it was just a really nice distillation of that. I've heard the message for God knows how long from Chris, <laughs> but it still felt refreshing. So well done. Wasn't Miles Hilton Barber just extraordinary? So he was recommended to, to speak by Bev Stokes, a lady who I used to work with. She'd seen him speak and, oh my God, our underlying principle for financial well-being is know thyself, which means in part having purpose in life. And there cannot be, nobody in the world can have more purpose than Miles. Yeah, it's just to explain a bit about Miles. Miles is blind. He's in his 70s now, yeah, I 71, think. 71, I think 72. And he became congenitally blind when he was in... I think he said he started going blind in his early 20s. That's right, yeah. So he knew he was going to become blind, as indeed had his brother. And his brother dealt with his own blindness by building a yacht and sailing it. And so, so Miles thought, well, if you can do that, yeah. so can I. Extraordinary. He then embarked on this most amazing career. You should look him up, Miles Hilton, Hilton Barber. Barber, because there's lots of stuff on YouTube about him and some of the things that he's done. He's flown jet fighters blind. Uh, he's sailed across the ocean blind. This thing, he's gone dog sledding in the Arctic uh, as a blind man. Absolutely incredible. He gave a 50-minute speech that, that lasted five minutes. Yeah, yeah. everybody was completely in yeah. oh, I mean, totally. I, I, I took a moment to look around, and I'm trying to think, we must have had 80-plus attendees yeah. there, yeah. and all people who've been to many conferences. And he was hanging on every single word. Yeah. It was it, the, the atmosphere was amazing. The key sentence, we don't want to spoil Mars's talk, because <laughs> we hope people will book him, but the key sentence for me was when he said, uh, his brother said to him, Miles, the, your problem is you're defining your life by your blindness and you should define your life by your dreams. It was a great speech. Any, if ever you get the chance to go and see Miles Hilton Barber, yeah, strongly. So. And, he, and you can look up some of his stuff on, on YouTube as well. And then straight afterwards, Liz Seidler of Happy City came straight up to me and just kept, well, I won't actually use the word she used because she <laughs> swore at me because she had to follow Miles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but actually, Liz, I thought, did a really, really good job. She did, she did. So Happy City, declare an interest, I'm a trustee of Happy City. And they provide tools to enable the measurement of happiness. And what Liz talks about is that by measuring, for example, GDP in the economy, we're measuring the wrong thing. For example, if we throw away more waste and we have to do more waste disposal, that's clearly a bad thing for the environment, but it creates profit, which increases GDP. So actually, GDP is a crazy thing to be measuring. So what Happy City do is give lots of tools to help governments and businesses and individuals 
to measure their own happiness and well-being. Am, am I right in thinking they're a non-for-profit charity? Or, yeah, or social interest company. I think social that's think the official title. Yeah. So after the conference, I went home that day, and there's, there's a little online tool that you can do to measure the well-being pulse. It's so measure mm-hmm. measure your own happiness. How happy are you, David? I'm eighty-five percent happy. <laughs> hey. Yeah. So I was quite pleased. So all that, that hard work that you're doing with Ovation. <laughs> um, I will put a link in the show notes to that particular measurement at all very simple it doesn't take very long no it took me five minutes if that but the first time you can actually get an insight to what areas in my life can i work on just to help my overall happiness it's really interesting discovered i was happier than i thought yeah well there you go (laughs) well they they also help well-being in the workplace which is a particularly hot topic at the moment so Mm. if any of our listeners want are maybe working in hr or own businesses and they want to know how happy their employees are and how they can make them more happy then get in touch yeah, and then interestingly, we went from uh, happiness to anxiety yeah. and depression. Yeah, Nick Elston, what a brilliant speaker! He had, <laughs> he was the uh, rather irritatingly for me, he was the second most popular speaker. Yeah. <laughs> Miles obviously being the first, yeah. lovely, lovely guy, and he talked about anxiety and his own journey. And fascinatingly, he now uses speaking publicly as a way to overcome anxiety, mm. but particularly also talking about money and anxiety and. Uh, the, the one thing that he said that got me was when he said that he was particularly anxious one Monday morning and we had so many things that he was worried about, so he decided to write them down. He ended up writing out something like 124 things that he was currently worrying about. But what was particularly interesting was a week later he went back to that list, looked through it and realised that not one of them had actually happened. So he was spending all of his time worrying about things that were never happening. And I think the broader lesson to be learned from that, and it's something we've talked about a lot in the podcast in terms of approach to money, is that actually it's easy to sometimes, around money, bury your head in the sand and go, oh, I'm not opening that letter from the bank and I'm not going to engage with that thing. But actually, the minute you start engaging with it and and dealing with issues, you often find some of them aren't as bad as you thought they were. And actually, even if they are bad for want of a better word by engaging with them you can start to improve things and make them better absolutely brilliant okay and then after that um sarah lyons from parmenian did exactly what you asked her to do to stand up to talk about how their organization's brand values aligned with yours and well-being in the workplace which is something parmenian work very hard at is such a big topic these days Every company, every smart company, mm-hmm. <laughs> is engaging in, in well-being. But this is interesting. I recently got an email from somebody post-conference who had been to a well-being in the workplace conference, and there was nutrition, there was mental health, there was also, but there was nobody there talking about financial well-being. And we at Ovation do deliver a financial well-being talk in the workplace. It's not something that we particularly push, but we, we get lots of people coming to us for it. And we're thinking about pushing it a little mm. bit a little bit more, actually, because there is clearly a gap out there. So if any of our financial planners are listening to this and want to help us do that, then get in touch. We're really trying to figure out how we can get this out there, because my experience, I deliver these workshops fairly regularly now, because it's, it's a growing area that HR are looking at, and the engagement people and just realizing that money isn't a scary topic if you put it into the context of what makes you happy and what your life's about rather than thinking oh what's a pension or what's a investment when people just actually get down to the bare bones of what do i need to do that makes me happy and how can i fit my money into that the response has been quite quite brilliant really excellent the, the one thing that i found interesting from from sarah was she talked about fear in a workplace that you have to try and strip away that if somebody makes a mistake you cannot have that 
environment of fear where they're going to get called out for it in front of everybody. You know, it has to be done in a constructive way that if somebody does something wrong, they don't often mean to. So if you, if you use an example of somebody being called out in front of everybody and how belittling that is and how completely disengaging that is for the person. So I found that quite interesting. So then we had very interesting talk from Dr. Catherine Zolman of the Penny Braun UK Cancer Centre. So this is obviously one close to my heart. I'm the director at Penny Braun and it inspired all of what we're doing because a car journey with my wife who also works there one day a week uh, talking about the work of Penny Braun and how they help to support people who are going through cancer treatment and how we have immune cells in our bodies and those immune cells actually eat up the cancer cells, which is, there's a bit of footage online, you can see it's extraordinary. So Catherine talking to us about resilience in the body and financial resilience is all quite closely linked from stress and so forth. And there's good science behind this now. It's not, you know, 20 years ago, it was seen as kind of mumbo jumbo faith healing type mm. stuff, but it's not. It's good science behind resilience and financial resilience. And I, th I thought she was really interesting. What was the diagram and again, the rising boat. The rising yeah. boat. So the idea is, is that you've got this, this strip of water with these rocks that are underneath the water. Now, when, you're, when your well-being is filled up, these rocks, you don't see them. You just glide across the top in your boat. If your well-being is down and you come across some issues, those rocks are all of a sudden in the way because the water level is dropped. I don't know if I'm explaining it really. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, brilliant so far. Yeah. Yeah. If I can somehow find the picture, I'll put it in the, in yeah. the show notes to give you an idea. But it was... But the really point is that, that, that we, we try and hit those rocks away. Yeah. So that's what we tend to do with the cancer with, with, um, and, and, and with money, is we try and get rid of the obstacles, where actually, if we increased our overall well-being, we would float over the obstacles. Yeah, and she did say that there is medical evidence to suggest that feeling better about yourself can help you overcome a, a physical illness like cancer. Yeah, yeah. Bron is spelled B-R-O-H-N, Penny Bron UK. And if there's anybody listening to this in the Bristol area, it's like plug here, but uh, we uh, it's a beautiful centre that they have out near Pill, and they do hire it out if you want to have your board meeting there or yeah. some sort of event. Uh, yeah. Yes, it's I've been there myself, and it's a lovely spot. Oh, so the, the, the whole point of the conference is that any profits that have been made go to the Penny Braun Cancer Charity because of all the good work that they do. So we will continue to support that. So and of yes. course, we should also just mention and thank Penny Bron, who came down and, and had a stand there and talked to people, and also Eric Porter, the Money Charity, uh, who also came along and, and told everybody about their work with helping people in vulnerable areas, giving financial wellbeing, financial resilience talks. So thank you for their support too. And I'd, I'd also say, as we're thanking those that supported the conference, is also See the World, which is a company based in uh, based in Bristol who help people design that those trips those special trips around the world wherever that might be they do a great job um, really helping people and it sort of goes in line with a lot of the time when we speak to people about you know what is it you really want to want to do and experience and holidays so rounding off the day was an old friend of the podcast Neil Bage yeah, so I asked Neil particularly to come along and talk about BIQ, which is a product that he is about to launch. So it was a bit of a product at the end, but that was deliberate. That was me asking him to do that. Because BIQ, everybody who has been to a financial advisor will know what risk profiling is. You get asked a series of questions which you basically guess the answer. <laughs> and at the end of it, it's the best way we have to assess your attitude to risk. But it's hugely flawed in lots of different ways, which Neil talked about. So their new tool, BIQ, is a behaviour and risk profiling. And anybody who 
has listened, and if you haven't, go please go back and listen to his interviews on the podcast, will understand that our behaviours affect our approach to money massively, and they're behaviours that we don't even know we have. So I, his, his tool has been launched at the at the conference and uh, created a bit of a buzz, I think. Yeah, and he, he talks about the various pitfalls there are in our own human behaviours, because our minds haven't evolved to this the world we are living in right now. And we have these deep-seated flaws when it comes to our behaviours, and we just need to know they exist, so we know how to behave and, and react in certain situations. And oh that, dear, some idiots left their phone on me. <laughs> <laughs> who beep, beep, could that possibly who be? Who could David? that be? It might possibly have been me. You wrote Lunar Up then. <laughs> you know what, I'm not even going to edit that out. So <laughs> you see, folks, this line. I am fallible after all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, he was. Uh, we've been very fortunate at Ovation to be testing the beta version of of this, and it's given some fascinating insights with clients in this new. Uh, the new development on the tools just just looks fantastic, and yeah, we are signed up, getting involved, and and I would encourage any uh, any financial planners who are listening out there to to get in touch with Neil and BIQ team and and have a look. He's doing some great things. Great. So just before we move on to the, the the next bit of the podcast, what sort of feedback have you had from the day? So I gave a little winding up call and by the way we should also mention our genial host who hold everything together mm. David well done you were great on the day and there were set people genuinely thrilled to finally meet the man behind the voice <laughs> <laughs> um, so I then gave just a very a very short final thank you for coming which was a kind of a call to arms and saying what do we do now do we just have another conference do we want to create some sort of institute of financial well-being what happens next um, because it's easy to go to a conference and then just go home and not actually do anything. Your phone rings and the email comes in and you forget all the excitement. I've had some amazing response. 30-odd people have come back and said, yes, please, I'd like to be involved in some way, which is, means I've now got to figure out how. <laughs> so at the moment, I'm talking to a few people about um, about what we do. Something else will happen, whether it's another conference or not, I don't know. It's looking quite likely that there is enough interest to do another conference next year. But I won't be doing it on my own. I'll be getting a team of people together. So again, if anybody's interested in being part of this, please do get in touch with me. Probably easiest to do it at chrisbud at ovationfinance.co.uk. Drop me an email. And if you want to somehow help promote the principle of financial well-being in the financial planning community, get in touch. Yeah, yeah I, I, the, the feedback was actually quite overwhelming it was to consider it was all based on chris's tweet about what was it three months ago three three months ago whatever it was uh yeah the, people seem to get an awful lot out of it and that's what that's what you're trying to do is is people to to take the time out of their day which we we appreciated and actually be able to use some of the stuff they learned in, with their clients and get the message out there means hopefully happier happier people so that's what it's all about really now, for those of you that tune into this podcast for one thing and one thing alone, <laughs> which is the Titus Tomo tip, you'll be going, "Where's the Titus Tomo? We want that. T- we want the financial advice from the the monster of meanness." But actually, uh, the reason we haven't mentioned that yet is because the other thing that we did on the day is we had a panel. We did have a Titus Tomo tip in the panel, so. We had several of us who actually you're going to hear about in a minute. So rather than me talk about it in advance, why don't we just go now live, except it's not live, it's recorded, to the Concord Hangar, and I'm going to hand you over to me. Welcome, everybody. My name's David Lloyd, uh, writer, actor, broadcaster, general man about town. If you've been a regular listener to the Financial Wellbeing Podcasts, you'll know that we've quite often convened at Chris's house and sit around talking about money matters. 
This time we've taken this show on the road and we're here at the Financial Wellbeing Podcast underneath the very wings of Concord here in North Bristol. And just to prove we have a live studio audience, let's hear from you, please. <laughs> Excellent. Good. It's like any questions. It's absolutely fantastic. Right, so... Let me quickly then introduce our panel. Chris Budd is down the far end there. Next to you, <coughs> excuse me, is Lauren Janus. Now, Lauren is an independent philanthropic advisor who partners with financial advisors so that they can offer charitable giving services to their clients. Lauren, is there anything you'd like to add to that about yourself? That was perfect. Thanks. Excellent. Perfect. <laughs> That's me all over. And next to you is Catherine Morgan. Catherine works as both a financial planner and a financial coach. Would you like to amplify on that, Catherine? So I'm a regulated financial planner, and then I, my audience that I help is for female entrepreneurs to go from working on their financial habits and behaviours around money, as well as then looking at their planning aspects and helping them to move forward. Excellent. Thank you very much. And then sitting next to me uh, is, I should introduce him as the legendary Titus Tomo. Those of you that listen to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast will, will have heard all about that. For those of you that haven't, Tomo, would you like to tell us where this nickname came from, how it came about? Do you know what? I was just talking to somebody over lunch about this. So it was over lunch. Uh, we had a little thing where me uh, and a couple of colleagues, Chris included, would go out for lunch and do it like a round. So, you know, just like a round of buying beers. It was my turn to buy lunch. I came across a really good money-saving at Wriggle. We got, got to the restaurant and I said, you've got to try this, this meal. It's fantastic. You've really got to try it. It's brilliant. Trust me. So we all, all three of us had this lovely chicken dish. We came to pay the bill, got my app out, and it turns out that was the only meal on the menu where I could actually get a discount. And you felt, felt quite hard done by, didn't it you? It turns out you had designed the entire thing that way. Yes, <laughs> right. There's no coincidence, mate. Don't try and get away no. with it now. And so, yeah, you're such a tight ass, Tom. Oh, hang on. Have you got any decent tips for the podcast? So, yeah, tight ass Tomo was born. <laughs> and do you know what the worrying thing is now? Yeah. So I spent an awful long time becoming qualified and doing this role, and what I'm actually known for is being a tight ass. <laughs> and I'm not sure what that says. But says well, I'm hoping really. you've got a good tip for us today, but before we come on to that, what do you do when you're not being a tight ass? What's your role at Ovation? <laughs> My role at Ovation is I'm a chartered financial planner, so uh, like many of you in the room, my day job is to sit in front of clients and listen to their wants and needs and help them work out what they want from life and help them spend their money on that. Excellent. And you're also my financial advisor I, as well. I Just am. to declare nice an plug. interest here. <laughs> uh, so what's your Titus Tomo tip for today? Well, it's a simple one, really. So we all need to go out there. We do our continual professional development and training. And on the subject of saving on train fares, help organise a conference in your own hometown. <laughs> Done. That's brilliant. Sorry, sorry, I think I might have to just step in. It, help organise. Wow. <laughs> when I say help organise, it means, Tom, I've got this idea of a conference. Great. Just make sure somebody else is doing all the admin because I know you won't. <laughs> and that was my input. Um, so there you go. Uh, yeah, again, Sarah, Sarah and Ben have, have been the ones who, who have been charged with that effort. So yeah, there you go. Make sure conferences are in your hometown and you won't have to spend any money, it's great. Right, so let's move on then. Uh, I've got some questions from the floor, but I've got a couple of uh, ones that have been pre-submitted first. So, Catherine, first one to you. How can we engage with clients' emotions when we're discussing money, and why does this matter? 
Yeah, so I think with, as, as we've kind of alluded to in some of the earlier um, presentations today, I think because money is, isn't just money, money is really emotional. And I think it's really important to think about what emotions our clients are going through either currently or have been through to think about how we can help them to manage not just their money, but manage their behaviours around money. Because that's essentially, I believe, the work that we can do as a financial planner or a financial coach is to manage help them to manage their own behaviours rather than just managing their money. That's where the magic happens, isn't it? When we're creating this you know, absolutely amazing cash flow forecast plan, but if they haven't got the right behaviours and habits and belief systems around money, it's not going to stick anyway. So if we can actually understand more about their emotions and behaviours about money, and that's really kind of exploring some of what we talked about in the presentations today about self-belief and you know, what emotions are holding them back from making good decisions around money. Yeah, anybody else got anything to add on that one? Only to completely and utterly agree, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but how, Catherine, in your experience, how, what, what can people here take away and do differently than what they're currently doing to help their clients to do that? So the, the two ways that I find the most successful, one is just like sharing some of your story, because everyone, you'll all have your own personal story, whether it's a story that's got a good emotion attached to that or maybe a negative emotion attached to that, something you've maybe experienced in your life that's made you where you are today, who you are today. So sometimes it can just be sharing that through your branding, through your message, through how you're communicating with clients, because people buy people and they will buy into your story. But also it could just be asking them questions, really simple questions. So that one of the ones that, we that I often talk about with clients is just asking them about their earliest experience of money or what was their earliest memory of money. And that's just a really simple, easy question that you could ask pretty much any stranger in a, you know, in a conversation. You know, what was your earliest experience of money? And what you're listening for are the words that they use to describe that experience. So if, for example, we've just come off a, a, a nucleus tour for two weeks and we use this question actually to the audience and to get them to feel what was it like to answer that question for themselves. And the groups absolutely loved it because it really got them focusing on what, you know, what were there some of the early beliefs around money and then getting them to think about, first, the first thing is getting them to think about what's the positive message of that experience because we all as human beings automatically I think go to the negative in any in, you know in, in in our own personal experience we always beat ourselves up don't we it's just the automatic go-to um, so if we think about some of the positives attached to some of the messages that we heard growing up about money think about how can that show itself to an in an advantage in our lives so for example if someone said the, the message that I heard growing up around money was money doesn't grow on trees who's heard that one yeah. So what's the positive message in that? The positive message is normally that that person is a hard worker because that whether it's the parent or grandparents or family that said, to them, you know, money doesn't grow on trees. So you have to work hard for your money. So the positive message is that you're a hard worker. Right. And you're successful in your business. But then it's about flipping that. So I always kind of get people to think about flipping the coin. So if you were to flip that belief, what's the challenge for you of holding on to that belief? Well, the challenge is that I'm working 12 hours a day. My wife's moaning at me because I'm not at home enough. I'm not having enough holidays with my children. That's the flip side of that. And just bringing some of those subconscious beliefs up to the surface. Our job as financial planners and financial coaches isn't necessarily to fix people because we're not financial therapists, right? But our job is just to kind of bring some of those subconscious beliefs up to the surface. If you think about the iceberg theory, tipping those messages up to the surface and then having conversations with clients to say, well, where does that present itself as a challenge in your life and how can we help you to change that? 
That's really interesting. And I think some of those uh, self-limiting beliefs can really get in the way of us actually being able to change our interaction in our lives and with money. So that behaviours are really difficult to change. So but you can what you can do is think about changing your thoughts, because it's the messages that we tell ourselves that drive the emotion that we feel. And it's the emotion that we feel that then drives the behaviour. So rather than trying to change the behaviour is we change the thoughts first. And that's really when you're starting to engage in really good questions with your clients. You're getting them to change their own thought process rather than trying to tackle the really difficult thing, which is the behaviour. And this is why people go on diets, yo-yo diets, where they're trying to change the behaviour and not the thought. And actually, if we can get underneath that a little bit and get people thinking about changing their thought processes, the messages that they're telling themselves. You know, we, we, we only... When we wake up in the morning, we have a finite level of energy for that day. And I'm not talking about like woo-woo energy here, but we have a finite amount of physical energy. And if we're waking up in the mornings and we're dispelling some of that um, energy on negative beliefs and emotions, then that only leaves us with therefore this amount of energy for the rest of the day. Whereas if we can change some of our thought process, which changes our energy levels, then that's, that's when we can start to create change in behaviours. Yeah, has anybody in the audience perhaps got an example of how they've done something like that, where they've actually managed to uh, work with a client to change their behaviour that's really changed their client's attitude towards their money? A good example that just reinforced what you said, Catherine, was what Nick said on stage about he was giving incantations every morning about his weight loss and stuff, and it's only when he changed that language, the lingu linguistics, changed the actual outcome. So, yeah, completely agree. I would just... Uh, I think that's a really good point. Nick's talk was fantastic, I thought, and, and what he said about as advisors, when people are coming to see you, they are coming with anxieties, and they're probably coming to see you with anxieties about money. And we need to be respectful of that and know how to handle that and know how to deal with that so that when they come into the meeting room, we can make it a safe place for them to be talking about... Because they're not talking about money, they're talking about things they're terrified about. If somebody comes to talk to you about money, about the pensions, I need a pension review, they're probably saying, I'm depressed at work. That's what they're really coming to talk about. So we need to be respectful of that somehow and I think probably get trained in it, to be honest. I think that maybe it's against some of us at the thought of dealing with some of these things with people. So maybe we should go out and get a bit of, uh, bit of skills in coaching or training to help people to help themselves. So that's it. I was just going to ask Catherine a question because I was lucky enough to listen to your, your workshop with Nucleus. It was, very, um, it was very good. But I thought you said about the iceberg and this will get to the surface. When you start to get beyond the surface and get into deeper stuff, I don't think, touching on your point, Chris, that we're trained to deal with that level of discussion because we're getting into to discussions about mental health and that sort of thing often. And you mentioned about signposting. Have you got your head around how best to signpost those particular clients? I think the first, one of the interesting things you just said there is that we're not trained to deal with the mental health and things that are associated with that. In some ways, I kind of disagree with that. And I think that, no, we're not, we're not trained medical professions. But I don't think we necessarily need to be. I think sometimes we're a little bit fearful of having these conversations because it's like, well, what do we do with that information? If suddenly someone you know, bursts into tears, what do I do with that? And I think one of the skills of being a planner and a coach is just to listen. And actually just holding that space for somebody can sometimes be so powerful rather than us telling ourselves beliefs like, well, I'm not good enough to have that conversation, I haven't got the skills, if only I do a coaching qualification, I'll suddenly have the skills. I don't... I don't it's my self-limiting beliefs right could, there, isn't it? It, it could yeah. be, maybe. Yeah. You're going to Sarah therapy now. so but. much today. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? We have, these, we have these beliefs already in ourselves that, well, I'm not good enough to have that conversation or I don't feel like I'm skilled enough to have that, that conversation. But in answer to your question, time in terms of... Um, 
signposting. Um, I think, to be honest, you can just hold that space yourself and just be in that position to just listen. And you'll know, I mean, I, I had a client this week who I've taken on as a coaching client. And with, after the first session, she's gone off and she's uh, booked a, a therapy appointment because it was really obvious that when we started to go through some of this, she needed to, you know, there was some very, very deep-rooted um, sexual abuse in her background that was having a massive impact on her emotions and behaviour around money. Now, I'm not qualified to deal with that, so we signposted her out to a therapist. Um, and we're still working together, but she's got the support of somebody else as well. So I think it's about having people on your team that you can signpost out to, so that rather than feeling like you have to be upskilled to deal with everything yourself, you can just have a team of people around you that, okay, great, this is at the point where, you know, maybe this, is, this isn't where I, my expertise is and I need to go and hand over to somebody else. Great, thanks for that. Well, Sorry, I'd like Dan, to... can I just add one, one, one more point? So for those of you, uh, just to echo something, but elaborate slightly. So don't be afraid of this because your role as a coach, if we can use that coaching, then planning, then advice, your role as the coach isn't to give answers. And we as financial planners are trained all our lives to find solutions and answers. The people come to us with their problem and our job is to find the answer to that problem. Well, in this coaching bit, that's not your job. Your job is, is just to ask some questions and get the person to be thinking. So don't be afraid of that. It takes a lot of practice to be able to not find solutions when that's what you're trained to do. But don't be afraid of it. It's really quite revealing. Just don't say anything. <laughs> if you get stuck, just use silence. Don't say anything and you'll be amazed how much people talk. Right, thanks for that, Chris. So I would like to move in on a little bit now. I'd like to pick up with Lauren, something actually that you introduced earlier on, Chris, when you were giving your talk. You talked about having a client, you had the conversation with them, how much do you need? He said how much you needed. You established that he already had it and he packed his job in and decided he was going to start fulfilling the objectives that he had. And we've also talked a lot in the Financial Wellbeing podcasts about philanthropy and about actually perhaps giving their money away. So Lauren, this is your area of expertise. Why would any of the planners here in this room talk to their clients about philanthropy? Yeah, no, great question. So it really comes back to a lot of the themes that we've been talking about at this conference. Chris was talking this morning about how one of your most important roles as a financial advisor is to help your client find and act on their purpose in life. And for many people, that purpose is giving back or having an impact on an issue that's really important to them. That could be preserving wet, wetlands, it could be you know, helping homelessness and um, homeless kids in, in inner London. And by having that conversation with them, you can strengthen your relationship with that client and also help them on a path that, that can help them achieve their, their purpose in life. In the kind of charitable advising sector, we talk a lot about giving your time, your treasure, your talent, and increasingly your testimony to causes that are important to you. And by talking, by bringing a, finan a, a charitable advisor into the conversation, we can help you and your client identify the best way to use all of their assets, um, you know, their time, talent, treasure, and testimony in a way that's most impactful and most meaningful to them in support of an issue that's, uh, that's really close to their heart. And would that apply specifically to high net worth individuals? Or? That's another great question. No, um, not at all. Anybody can be a philanthropist. You know, the person giving five or ten pounds a month to shelter is as much of a philanthropist as Jeff Bezos or, or some of the, the really big names that you hear right now. <laughs> Philanthropy is really just about giving of yourself and feeling that you 
understand how your money is being spent or how your, your talents or your, um, your time or your testimony is being used in support of something that, that means a lot to you. And somebody can be just as passionate and just as impactful on, um, on an issue, whether they're giving you know, whatever amount that they can, afford to, they can afford to give. Excellent. So Chris, during your writing the financial well-being book, and was, was philanthropy, before you started that process, something that you kind of understood, or is it something that you've grown to appreciate through the work that you've done? Oh, definitely, definitely the latter. Uh, the, the principles of, of philanthropy are quite simple. Give to something that uh, you uh, make, your, make your giving planned. So uh, although it's not a particularly nice way of putting it, giving to, to somebody homeless on the street actually doesn't give you as much well-being as giving to a homeless charity that you planned for and thought about. Also, uh, on a regular basis, it's better than sporadic because, again, it's planned. So a regular amount to a homeless charity, for example, would be a really good way of, of donating. I have three charities that I give to, uh, the Red Cross, the Green Party, and something called Population Matters. I probably only about 40 quid a month to all of them, but I can tell you who they are, can't I? And I can tell you all about what they do because it matters to me what they do and that's why I give and that gives me well-being. So make it something you know something about and the final thing is giving to something that maybe you can see the results. Uh, we had some really interesting podcasts, some of the early ones with a guy from Oxfam and from the Jesse May Trust and they were talking that they work really hard to tell their donors what their money is being used for. So you see the end result of the people that are being helped so that you have a real connection and that way you get more well-being and you're more likely to give. And it's interesting for somebody like myself who works outside the financial industry, it, it sounds a bit counterintuitive because, because we're always told, well, you've got to get, get your money, you've got to save your money, you've got to grow your money. But actually what we're talking about is giving it away. Yeah. What's really interesting, actually, is that a lot of clients that I'm, I'm sure you have in your portfolios do a lot of giving. And actually, they find it very easy to give to other people or to charities or to their family or to their children. But they find it really difficult to spend on themselves. Do you have clients like that? And actually, you're building them a plan and you're showing them, you know, you need to spend 10 grand this year. Otherwise, you're going to, you know, half of it's going to go to the tax man. And then you see them again a year later and they still haven't spent it because they have really high giving, uh, giving relationship with money. And that's where I think the beauty of work that you're doing, Lauren, is, is bringing in a philanthropist to show them, well, how can we make this more in tune with what is important to them? Then that can actually help them to spend the money that you're telling them to spend, but they're just not doing. How about the idea of personal, personal philanthropy, where you spend more money on yourself? <laughs> <laughs> that's easy for me. I'm an emotional spender, so. But that's, you're absolutely right, Catherine. I mean, giving is, it makes you feel good. I mean, all of the research says that, you know, giving stimulates that portion of your brain that is, is the same one that reacts when we have something delicious to eat by encouraging people to give in, in a way that's intentional and that makes them understand their agency, you're really giving, giving them a, a larger sense of well-being and, and really benefiting them um, for the long term. It's that, it's that planned giving. You know, we talk about it at the workshops we, we have with, for employers and uh, to employees, and we talk about this subject, and it's the planned giving, because I'm not suggesting that anyone should not be given to someone who's struggling, homeless on the street. It helps them, but there is no doubt it's I certainly do it through guilt almost. Yeah. And that's not a particularly nice feeling. But then actually, if I want to give that money, if I plan to give it to a homeless charity or my time order, I don't know, there's more of a, there's more of a better feeling about that. You're absolutely right. And that's, I mean, there are various ways of giving. And I think that, you know, it's a good idea for an individual to think about 
the ways that they give and the ways that are important to them to give. Because if it makes somebody feel good to give that five pounds to a person on the street, that gives them an emotional jolt of goodness, then that's an important factor to to consider when you're putting together their charitable giving plan. Well, okay, let's put aside 20% for <laughs> spur of the moment gifts to people or individual or organizations that ask, but then put aside about about 80% for, as you say, planned giving for the really intentional giving and saying, right, I, this is an issue I care about. I'm going to learn about homelessness or I'm going to learn about um, you know, girls' education in Africa and then I'm going to give intentionally to organizations whose strategies I understand and I can feel really good about um, so that that's incorporated, both of those kind of types of giving are incorporated into their plan. It, the people we've got downstairs for you to talk to, the stands, it's no coincidence who, who we've got here. You know, Penny Brond, go and find out what they do. You'll enjoy giving money to them. The money charity, you can spend money with the money charity so that they will go and teach vulnerable groups financial capability uh, and see the world are there so that you can help your clients to spend money on themselves. So there's not just, you know, by accident that these guys are here. Go and talk to them because they are exactly in this space of philanthropy. Well, I think identifying as well, like, like we, sometimes we make pre-assumptions, pre don't we, that people will enjoy making gifts and some people just don't. <laughs> some people genuinely, the thought of them giving money away to a charity, they're like, well, no, why am I going to do that? Like, seriously, that people have very strong thoughts, don't they, on whether they want to gift or not. So I think sometimes just having that conversation with clients to ask them, you know, how do you feel about this? Because then you're, you're digging into their thought process, their emotions, the emotional biases that drive the decisions that they're making. So sometimes we do kind of preempt, don't we, what people are thinking about. So if somebody doesn't like giving, for good reason, that's cool. Know thyself and all of that, that's up to them. Might not have the same shared values. That It's their world perspective, right? Mm. But it's those questions have to be non-judgmental. Yeah. If you're probing, you know, I try my best, I sometimes slip in, I try my best not to use the word why. Yeah. Because yeah. that automatically infers judgment. So that's an interesting one. You're ju you, you say, oh, would, you, would you like to gift? And they say no. And then how would you get to the root of that without actually offending oh actually I just don't like gifting stop putting your values onto me and I think that's a really difficult line yeah, to tread yeah. but then again you might not want to work with people like that that's your call isn't it so. <laughs> <laughs> right we're going to take uh, some questions from the floor now the first one is from Colin Lowe I think this is Colin says I've looked at financial coaching for couples as this appears to be a big issue in relationships, well-being, and money, how do we change the perception of our profession so it can be seen as truly holistic? Yeah, I guess what I'm hearing in that question as well, though, is it's how do we educate consumers that, that we are holistic? I think that, that's what I read from that message. That I, I is Colin in the audience? Colin, was, are you talking about consumers? Yeah. Because I think people still come to us uh, with... I've got some money in an account. How do I avoid? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm a massive believer that the way that we could influence that is in our communication. It's that simple. It's, I think it's, if we, if we continue to communicate as a profession about products and we use words that we are used to using in our everyday language that, that our clients aren't engaging with, then, then our industry and our profession will always stay the same. We've got to change the way that we communicate. And that includes us as professionals changing the way we communicate with our websites, our branding, our marketing. I mean, I, 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 I have a suit jacket on today, but I generally joke with my 
clients that I work with. So I often do like uh, sessions in my pajamas, and I know it sounds really silly, but it just it really helps to get people's uh, mindset just completely relaxed to the concept of just talking about money. Um, Can so I, um, I think it's very much in our communication. Sorry, Catherine. I've got quite a strong view on this one, Colin, and I'll take you back to Miles. For decades, the financial services industry has been, financial planning, financial advice, whatever we call ourselves, has been complaining that the public don't trust us, waiting for the public to somehow change their view. Well, why don't we change? Why don't we change how we talk to people? Let's stop talking to them about investments. Let's stop talking about tax and pension rules and let's talk, start talking about happiness. That's what today is all about. It's up to us to change that dialogue, not for the clients to come to us for something different. It's for us to offer something different and then they might start seeing us in a different light. Yeah, I think as a collective, I would imagine by the very nature of the type of people who are doing planning tend to be smaller types of firms. We don't have the same clout as certain firms that are out there. Um, so I think it's a collective. You know, if we can get the message out that this is what financial planning is about, this is, we really can make a difference um, to people's lives, it will slowly permeate out there, but we have to do it as a collective. Excellent. Lauren, anything you wanted to add to that? Yeah, a great way to build trust is to talk to people about their values. Um, and in many cases, that's, uh, that's giving back and volunteering. So it's a great way to, to build a relationship with them. I mean, going back to talking about well, how do, you, how do you talk to people about charitable giving or their values without, without communicating judgment? It's just an opportunity to say, look, I know that you volunteer at the National Trust every Saturday. You know, this is something I know about you as an individual. Can we talk about how you might incorporate support for this, this cause or these causes into your wider financial plan? And with that communication and, the, and that, um, that relationship comes deeper trust. Great. Okay, next question. Uh, no name on this one, but it's a really good question. How do we quantify or measure the accumulated value of the well-being that we deliver to clients and their families? So how do we know when enough well-being is enough? Chris? I, can you have enough well-being? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I think uh, that financial well-being report I talked about earlier is a really good way of doing it. Um, I'm aware that this is going out for a podcast to people who aren't financial planners, so for their benefit, write down things that make you happy, write down things that you've done to make yourself more happy, and keep adding to that list. Um, and financial planners, you, you create a financial well-being report which creates extra things every time you do something. Um, Nick Elston talking about writing down things on the negative side that he thought were going to go wrong. How many was it? 158 things that he was worried about? And a week later, not one of them had happened. So that's quite a, that's kind of an inverse of itself, isn't it? That's kind of two, two sides of the same coin. So write down the things that you do that make yourself happy. Write down the things you're worried about and that don't end up making you unhappy. And it feels to me that that's going to build up a pretty good picture over time. Yeah, and how will you know whether or not your clients are actually benefiting from the advice that you're giving them. I suspect that might be behind the question as well. And also that's, that's Liz Zeisler's and, and the Happy City and the measurement tool. Yeah, which we'll put a link in the show notes. That was very producery, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, you'll get Tammy to put in the show I'll notes. I'll get Tammy to put clear. in the show yeah, notes. Yeah. So yes, I did none of the organization of this conference <laughs> and I do nothing with the podcast. Um, it's amazing, I've got enough time left in my day. <laughs> So, uh, anything that you'd like to add to that about in terms of quantifying well-being, how you measure it? I would measure it through language and behaviours. So, maybe get them to record what sorts of things they're saying to you when they come in, 
And so, you know, when you write in your scribbly notes, the things that they're saying, write down some of the words that they're using and then measure that again next time you see them, see if that's changed. But really, I don't think it's our jobs to tell, for us to show how, how much it's, it's them. They'll tell you, won't they? They'll come in and they'll, like, they'll ring in, they'll resign. You know, that surely is a sign through their actions that they are feeling more happy and fulfilled because they've, you've helped them to make that decision. Um, how, um, often, how often does somebody say, I can't wait to meet my financial advisor. I've got my re review meeting coming up. Brilliant. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a great result? I always look forward to seeing Tomo. <laughs> You're a good liar as well, aren't you? <laughs> right, OK. Any questions from the floor at this point? I'm happy to pick up a question if anybody out there has got a question for the panel. It'd be great to hear from some people in the audience. There we are. You're right next to the person with the microphone. Perfect. Hi, Chris. Just coming back to your point, which I absolutely agree with, about uh, making it all about happiness and so on. It just occurred to me, because we're in the process of uh, having a little think about reorganising some of our website stuff for uh, more engagement with SEOs. But the SEOs that seem to be the ones that capture the interest of the public and the new clients are really boring ones, like pensions and retirement and investments and all the things we actually want to get away from. So I just wonder about the commerciality and how long it's actually going to take for people to be searching happiness, well-being, jolly things. So I'm going to answer, for them, not for the first time in my life, I'm going to provide a very authoritative, sort of confident answer about something I know nothing about. Um, I'm assuming SEO is search engine optimization. Yeah, you see, cracking. That's how technical I am. Uh, how, how long will it take before people start searching, how can I be happy? I think it's starting. If you look at some of the economic models, for example, I know uh, Liz was talking about Happy City, but Donut Economics, Ellen MacArthur Foundation. There's some really interesting work going on about new economic models. And the interest, I'm, I'm a, a trustee of Happy City, and the interest in Happy City is absolutely ballooning at the moment because people are realising that actually, do you know what? I don't need gazillions. It's not going to make me happier. They are starting to realise there are other ways of doing things. Look at um, The Mindful Art of Tidying by Marie Kondo. You know, that's an international bestseller and got a TV show. And that's all about getting rid of stuff that you don't need. Is that the one where you have to look at a T-shirt and ask if it still gives you joy? You have to thank yeah. it. You have to thank it. Right. <laughs> so there is a dialogue happening with these sorts of things. There are, this is becoming mainstream now. So I think it is happening. And um, we get a lot of inquiries about financial well-being. I mentioned earlier the workplace well-being workshops that we do. And we get inquiries all the time with no advertising whatsoever. It's just that financial well-being workshop, we put that in, I think that's the term, and we come up very highly on Google. So uh, employers are looking at this a lot. Well-being in the workplace has become a massive issue. It, was, it wasn't even discussed 10 years ago. Now it's number one for any decent HR department is now looking at their well-being program. So I think it's happening. And all that we can do is we can just keep talking about it and make it happen more. So I've got a, a thought on this about how people find us. And at the moment, it, I absolutely agree with you, Julie. It's the pensions. You know, I've got a bunch of pensions I need to speak to an advisor. So I think at the moment, our job, because no, no doubt, unless we're ref uh, referred by uh, you know, clients or uh, professionals that we have relationships with, people Google us and they're likely to maybe have some kind of beauty parade and they'll see several advisors. And as long as front and centre to the conversations you're having with them aren't about I've got these pensions, can we talk about them? As long as they are about the subjects we're talking about today, which I'm sure many of you are already, 
that's going to make the difference because then they talk to their friends. Actually, I spoke to three advisors, but this guy or these guys, they just wanted to talk about me and what made me tick, what made me happy. So maybe that's the start. Um, and maybe that's how we can get the word out, just by delivering more and more of this. Could I also just add, uh, the, the only thing I would say about SEO, I've done quite a lot of research recently on SEO, so I completely understand where you're coming from with that question. But I would also think about two things. One would be, who are you trying to attract? Because if you want to try and attract people that are looking for pensions, investing, are they the sorts of clients that you really want to attract? No. So does it really matter if you therefore don't engage with those people that are searching for pensions and stock markets? And, do you know what I mean? So I would, I would think about that for your business, but also think about other ways that you can attract your audience because you don't, you know, you, with your business, Magenta isn't about the mass market, isn't about helping everybody, you're helping a specific niche. So what is that niche looking for? They're, they're, your clients are not the sort of clients that are looking for things like pensions, you know, they're not. They might think they need to Google that because that's what they know, because that's the language that we're using, but that's not what they're looking for. So how do we change that language? That's that, the golden yeah. question. Yeah, mm. that is the, it, is, it, is, it is tricky because it's... Yeah, but you can reach but you can reach out to them in so many different ways, which you already are, I know. I know you are, but it's not just about SEO. This is about what social media presence you have. I know you have a big social media presence already. But if you can engage and get enough business through, through those media channels, then SEO doesn't really matter. I think sometimes we get hung up on SEO rankings. That's just my thought process anyway. I wouldn't, over, I wouldn't underestimate the power of stories. Like the more that I think that you can tell the story of a client, particularly if it's a woman, um, who's come in and you know, came in thinking about their pension and worried about providing for their children and, um, and so forth going forward, but then you were able to turn the, the conversation around, build this stronger relationship, talking about her values, integrating it into a plan that really made sense for her life and her passions in life, and then tell that story, other people are going to read that and say, I want that to be me. Brilliant. OK, well, at this point, I've got one more question, which I'd just like a very brief answer from all of you on, please. I think it's a very good question, and I know it's something that is, uh, Chris feels very strongly about. question is from, I think it's Gary Neld, Blue Sky. He says, I believe financial education is highly important. Have you any thoughts as to how we should engage with employers and employees and make it a commercially viable business? Chris. <laughs> uh, there is a large appetite out there, uh, from employers particularly. Um, the issue that I believe perfectly that we have is that um, there's a lot of goodwill amongst people wanting to do this, amongst the financial advisor community particularly, but everybody's doing their own thing. And there are a few different organisations that are trying to put a curriculum together, but it's all a bit disparate. So uh, one of my uh, things that I would love to try and achieve, and, and we've been talking with a few people like Adam Owen and the Money Charity, uh, is how we can get a central pool of knowledge that everybody can then work from. Um, one thing that has changed uh, over the last few years is that if you do go into a school, for example, and to deliver some financial education, you do get uh, CPD points. So they go towards your training. So um, that's actually quite a big tick. That it's, uh, it gives a little reason for doing it. So a central pool of information would be the answer for me. Great, thank you. Lauren? It's, it's not, really, not exactly my area, but um, I would say that, yes, using your resources as, as a community to talk to people on their level about finances and how they can help them achieve their goals um, is, is probably the way to go. Great. Catherine? 
A quick answer, I would say if you combine the education with managing their behaviours, that's when the two come together. We can't do one or the other. I don't think we can separate them because you can have all the best knowledge in the world, but if you apply that and it doesn't stick, then it's not going to mean anything anyway. So I think it's a combination. I think Chris is right. It's about combining people that are experts in behaviours around uh, money, behavioural finance, with the stuff that we're really good at in terms of transactional and te you know, expertise, technical expertise. Bring the two together, that's where I think the magic happens. Last but by no means least, Tomo. Doing the, work, doing the workshops that we're doing, I get a lot of, uh, have a lot of conversations with people in HR. It's happening. It's definitely happening. It's a buzzword in HR circles. Financial well-being is, is, is the big one, and they want to educate their, their staff. How do you make it commercially viable? Commercially How do you make, money, viable? From How do you make money from it? Yeah. Charge a sensible day rate to go and do it. Yeah. You're professionals. You've got a wealth of knowledge that can be really helpful. If HR are unwilling to put their hands in their pockets, call them out on it. And if they don't become, because <laughs> okay, so fine. But when, I, when I've had conversations with, it's like, well, you're not taking it seriously then, are you? Because you can't expect somebody who is a professional who has a wealth of experience who's really going to be able to speak to a hundred of your employees and you're not willing to you know, spend a 10 quid per employee for, for, for whatever it might be. I think you need to ask yourself whether you're taking it seriously or not and push back a little bit because you all deserve to be paid for your time. So that's how you make it commercially viable. But word of warning, do you get lots of referrals from speaking to a lot of employees? Not huge amounts. So you're going to have to do it for an actual fee and, and don't be afraid to charge it. Excellent. Listen, it's been fascinating to listen to our experts on the panel. I'd like to thank them very much. It's also been fascinating to get your input. So thank you very much for joining us at our first ever live financial wellbeing podcast. <laughs> If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellBeing. Chris is Ovation Chris, and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think.